So last week, what did we do last week? Treasure in heaven and trading. So what do we trade with? Anybody give some thought to um, if we're going to trade? We, we taught last week that he's going to give up what is his. So the story says he, the landowner gave his belongings, his goods, to his servants. And they had to look after it and trade it and, and uh, multiply it. So what do we get from him that's his to trade with? You could say the body, but I'm not so sure if trading with the body is going to be okay. It's a little risky. Yeah. So what do we get from him that's his? Yes, Your Honor. Righteousness. Let's think about daily lives. What do people generally trade with? It's our interactions with the world around us. So what happens if um, one of those servants, because this, this is not dealt with in uh, the parable, but it's a reality that we see. What if, um, what if the servant trades 50% of the time in faithlessness, unrighteousness, wickedness. Okay, so if faith is the finished work of God, the end of the plan, the outcome of the plan revealed to us, and that is resurrection and eternal life. But we act, speak, according to something that's opposite to that or doesn't testify to that. Um, works, law, condemnation, fear, anxiety. That would be trading with the opposite. So what, do, what are we doing then? Is there, what would be the consequences of that? Negativity, complaining, grumbling. The Bible names a few of them. Grumbling, um, Covetousness, covetousness is just a, an, uh, a response to thinking we're not blessed, we're not provided for. And sometimes covetousness comes out of the fact that we're not provided for because we did all the other things wrong. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, jealousy, envy, strife. Contentiousness, um, discord. witchcraft, all those things. We can, as believers, especially we are vulnerable to trading with those things in subtle ways. So what would be the consequences of those things? Lowering the bank account. Pardon? Lowering the bank Yeah, it, it's interesting because it doesn't necessarily say it's going to respond in that way, but there's other consequences that comes with that. Well, I guess it's if you don't trade in the right things, it's just things that benefit from that. It's not the side. Um, so it adds to loss. It will add to loss. My other question is, does it add up to the scripture that speaks about your works being either gold or wood straw, a, that kind of... 
Yeah, they were building on something, remember? So and that's very interesting because um, <coughs> as believers, we automatically start building on something that was a foundation that was laid. And so, yes, he says he will come tested with fire. Exactly. So it, it could be understood in that way, definitely. Good answer. Yes. In Galatians 5, when it speaks about walking in the Spirit, it says that because of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, and at the end of the fruit of the flesh, it says those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That brings us to an interesting, interesting question then. That brings us to the question now, if you trade with the wrong things, can you lose your salvation? I was checking what we're thinking when we're dealing with the negative, negative side of things. And the other question is, can you really be born again and be saved, resurrected, and not want to please Him? Now that brings us to a very interesting question. Because we, we, we all know from experience that we can be really born again, really want to please Him, but yet, without intending to, we can veer back into the things of the flesh. Mm -hmm. That's the overcoming part. But then some people's overcoming can look like, long term, look like not being saved. And then there can be others that are truly saved, they just don't know the truth, and therefore they're just going to keep sowing to the flesh. So the fruit of the Spirit will be difficult to, to bear. These are questions we need to always keep in mind because we want to be able to, <coughs> to walk in a better way. So having looked at um, saving up for yourself treasure in heaven, gathering, uh, we brought to the mind... Uh, that there is certain righteous actions, certain right, righteous works that's expected of us while walking out our road of faith. Yet, for those that have been here a while, we, you also know that we went through a season where uh, we ministered very uh, strongly against works and that everything that we do in God, in the Holy Spirit, should be done from a place of His rest. Okay, so we know that that was a season of quite a bit of um, a challenge for a lot of people because we, try, we, we had to learn what, what is works and what is rest because some things that you do could look like works if you do it in the right way, out of the right uh, motivations, then it's in rest, then it's not works. But with the right, wrong heart, it's works. Okay, so today we're just going to look a little bit at works and rest, and as it pertains to repentance, and uh, specifically with a little bit of a view on anxiety, fear, and worry. Now, anxiety, fear, and worry is something that just seems to manifest in different ways as we move through our process and walk with the Lord. Just when we think we've um, 
we've implemented some things to avoid anxiety in one area. It just kind of pops up in a new... We reinvent. It's like that slam the weasel game where it just pops up in different holes. Like you gotta, it's like that. So we tend to reinvent anxiety for ourselves. Um, just new ways. Which often, one, it brings me to the question, was the original intent really to overcome anxiety completely? <laughs> well, how would we know? How would we know? Because often, we'll start to implement the Word of God and uh, uh, seek the Lord in prayer and start to meditate on the Word um, to overcome anxiety in, in an area. But what does it take for... What, what kind of huge change needs to take, take place in the human mind for us to decide to overcome anxiety completely? I mean, do we even believe that the possibility exists? But in reality, in reality, we have to keep in mind that none of us sitting here today, and very few people, are just saved from birth. So the fact of the matter is that by the time the Lord finds us and by His grace grants <coughs> us repentance and death and resurrection, we have come out of the world system and we have lived thereby. We have manufactured and grown our entire being according to the worldly ways. And so we do get to a place where we then our hearts want to repent. The Lord grants us repentance. We see in His Word that it's not supposed to be there. But if we sit and we think, if our entire life is, has been based on the world and the way that the world works, from our perspective, it's not always the easiest thing to really let go of all of it. So if, we, if, if someone has been wrestling with anxiety or fear, for the entirety of their lives until they've met the Lord. It, theoretically, it should be, because the Word says so, and by the Spirit, it should be a simple thing to decide to just let it go. But if your entire life is based on fear or anxiety, then to let that go in entirety would, be, <coughs> would literally mean a complete change of your life, the way you live, the way you think. And so that's why we have this process of overcoming, this process of renewing the mind. It doesn't have to take your entire life. It can take a week. It can take a day. It can take 20 years. That depends on our response to the Holy Spirit. But the fact is that when we get to this place of starting to repent, our lives are based on the world, unfortunately. And so we don't want to make light of it. That's all I'm saying. No. We don't want to just go, oh, well... You know, it should be that way, so it's just going to be that way. We should view it in a serious light. No, definitely. It is, um, it's, a, it's one of the big challenges. So the first time the Lord started speaking to me about uh, actively teaching against uh, anxiety, sin, and worry, uh, as well, anxiety, worry, and uh, fear <laughs> as sin, uh, it was probably about eight years ago, I think. That's when the process started. I, in my mind, I thought I was going to preach it to the group that I was leading back then, and it should take a month or two, and then we'll understand it, and we'll carry on with our lives. 
Okay, it turns out that the Lord started a process that is a, one of the big, big, big processes in human, human, human mindsets, even renewed, even spirit-filled. Okay, so what else do we call anxiety, fear, and worry? We call it responsibility. We call it our sense of responsibility. We call it perfectionism. Mm. Mm. OCD or perfectionism? Yeah. Uh, OCD. Any level of it. OCD is better half perfectionism. It's just unlike when you said the way, but it's not in a certain way. It wasn't the same as my health. Yeah. So people say, well, I've been diagnosed with OCD. So you've been diagnosed with a severe case of sin. Would you like to be delivered? That's basically what it boils down to. Perfectionism? Same thing. It's a combination of pride and fear of failure. Uh, normally I have a deep root of fear of man. And uh, usually manifests greatly as covetousness. Perfectionism. So, that's what we call these sinful reactions in everyday life. What else do we call it? Professionalism. We can disguise, we can disguise that as professionalism. That's the person that has to... Now, I know you go into work early. Please don't take this as <laughs> personal. That's how we sometimes disguise it. That's what we can often call the person that's way too early at work and stays way too late. Either that or they don't like their wives or their husbands. So, that's basically, I mean, just a, a, a balance that's coming short. But even if we don't suffer from fear, anxiety, and worry as sin symptoms in the beginning, if we continue certain actions, it's going to happen, it's going to develop. Am I right? Okay, so all that. We can carry on identifying fear, anxiety in various ways, but what's the answer? That's always the, the quest. And when we looked at um, laying up for yourself treasure in heaven, we realized that now we have highlighted that there's a pattern of responsibility that will... Um, lead to action, works, that we have to live out on earth. So we have to be aware of it, we have to be focused on it, we have to participate act, um, actively with the Holy Spirit in it. But the Holy Spirit, we said, is not going to tell us trade. Mm -hmm. So when the guy with the one talent buried it, God said nothing to him until he came back. And it was too late. So that's now, that's tricky, isn't it? So now, bring it back to our entire lives. The way we're going to live out the trading of the talents is going to be in the workplace, where we are employed in our careers. Where else? Well, in fellowship family. and family. <coughs> and then, for some, not all, in our communities, our wider communities. That could be 
Sometimes we don't have to go far to be trading with what the Lord gave us. Sometimes it'll just we'll do it in our homes. Mm. It's just because of normal life. Sometimes we'll do it just every day when we go to varsity or work or school, we'll have to trade. But there's work involved. Now, what we have to do is to have another look at what is works that is forbidden by the kingdom. So the kind of works that gets you, that moves you outside of God's blessing and agreement, while we still have to take action and the right kind of action. So investment trading. Okay. Let's start with the big gun in Revelation. That one. Mm. Okay. Revelation chapter 22. Let's quickly ask the question before we continue with the study. Fear, anxiety, and worry. Is it Satan that causes it? Is it just me that's causing it? Is it a combination of Satan and me that causes it? And is there any chance that God can add fear, anxiety, and worry to our lives. Okay. Keep those questions in mind. Okay. Revelation <coughs> chapter 22. Let's read from verse 10. Yeah, verse 10 and 11. <coughs> and he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Can we write it somewhere? <coughs> yes. Or So we said when we explained the trading that he will give as the king of kings eternally of what is his and he's currently sitting on his throne in the kingdom of heaven. He has ascended. So before he comes back officially, he has to send over. This is the divide between the two realms. The kingdom, eternal kingdom of heaven, the spiritual place, and the physical creation, earth. And for him to give up what is his, he has to pass it from this kingdom to our kingdom. He does this via the Holy Spirit and grace. And now we have to trade on this side. We have to trade with it, multiply it, and then somehow deposit out of that. We gain treasure and we deposit into the heavenly kingdom again. So we actually, so this is not even offshore account. This is in the other ROM account. Okay. So keep this in mind. This is eternal stuff. And he's going to, this realm, this kingdom, what is eternal, is going to interact with our world and us. And in some way we're going to accumulate something there that will become treasure. And now it says, 
and where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So if uh, 99% of your heart is here, how much stress, anxiety, and fear are you going to have? Is it possible? 1%. 1% I think is a good average for most people. Yeah. I can live with that. <laughs> yeah, we can live with that. Anyway, so, now, what he says, he who is unjust, let him be unjust. He who is filthy, let him be, unf- let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. So we have two groups of people. Now, these people, are we going to find them in the kingdom of heaven? Two groups of people. These people, are we going to find them in the kingdom of heaven? Is it possible to find these, these people in hell? No, not possible. And not possible to find them in heaven. Okay. So the days are, the time is at hand. Do you want to explain why he's saying that? So, okay, but I just want to explain, just put something else just into context. This is said in the last chapter of Revelation. So we're coming towards the end of the Bible. Within the timeline of Revelation, this is said after John has witnessed the destruction of earth, the new heaven, new earth, judgment day. All of that has now, he's seen that now, that's past. And after all of that, he has an interaction with, I'm going to say angel, because it says angel, but with the messenger. And then it is said, do not seal the words of, this prof- of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still, and righteous and holy. So we're going to look at that concept a bit more. Um... You can do the time is at hand part. Where else do we see this? When Yeshua is walking the earth, mm-hmm. his ministry is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Even John the Baptist also same thing. Repent Remember that repent is at hand. for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It means that this side is close coming. The effect of this side is already bearing down on this side. Okay. So now, in Revelation, he says, do not bind up the words of this book because the time is at hand. Okay. And now, the word is that those that are like this, let them be like that still. They'll remain like that. The others will remain like that. Okay. Now, let's go. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. Okay, we have, um, you'll find that in all our teaching series, um, there's basic truths that will be the most important truths. So we've actually come to a place in our three-year period where there will be less and less variations on what the answer is to any given question. This is what we've been trying to work towards. So the ideal is that we actually have built the Bible together in the way that it, the way that it was intended to work. That any life question 
any challenge can um, be answered by the basic um, uh, what's current? The, the core is right. The basic core truth of the word. Anything, anything. It makes life much simpler than having this counseling course and that course for that problem and that three-week um, course for that problem and that ministry for that problem. That Basically, mm-hmm. no matter what question, what challenge, what problem we face can be answered by very core truths. Okay, so this is what we've arrived at. <coughs> okay, so he says, let those on earth, those that lived, be as they are. Now we're going to see, he says, um, we're going to read, I'm going to have to cut it in off. <laughs> Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Messiah, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. So it says twice, in him gathered together in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, you will gather together in Him all things. Okay. That are on earth and that are in heaven. Obviously, (coughs) that which is not redeemed, not made holy, not separated unto Him, that would be completely removed from Him. Please keep this in mind. Okay. So, again, two groups. All things in him, whatever is rejected away from him, completely discarded, will never have contact with God again. And he will never have any contact with them. Okay. <clears throat> now, let's look at repentance. Repentance, in its broad strokes, in its broader meaning. I know that everybody that has been near a church, even if you walked past it, one time you will know this saying, that sin is missing the mark. Okay? Right. Now, what people have done with that saying is that sin is missing the mark. They say it's like shooting an arrow and you don't hit the bullseye. So now they take a big list of all things in the Bible that were named or referred to as sin in any way, and they go like, well, you're struggling with anger because you keep missing the mark. Mm -hmm. So the mark would be zero agitation, and that's where you want to go to. That's what they've done with that thing. So obviously, that's going to keep you busy for a long time and cause you a lot of anxiety. Um, because that is not the definition of missing the marks, not the definition of sin. Okay. But how, for how long did we think that was? Did anybody else think that was the way to go about it? Okay, I'm missing the mark on this thing, because sin is defined like that, and uh, I must just get this thing right, and then I can move on to the next thing on the list. Okay, so big tree, full of fruit, <laughs> and we keep eating from it. Okay. So it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So if sin is missing the mark, then we've determined that Messiah likeness is the mark. Mm. 
And that's what He is going to do through His Spirit in us, by His Spirit, um, according to His grace, according to His perfect will, He's going to conform us to His Son in every way. So that, um, so what is the mark? What is the standard? He's the standard. He's the mark. Okay. And we understand that we have to give our full cooperation and obedience. We call that simply response. So we have to continue, learn to, the more we learn to continuously respond to the Holy Spirit, the more He is going to conform us to the Son of God. But, um, when we are busy in the flesh, it's very difficult to actually respond to the Spirit. And we noticed how you can't do both. Surrender, surrender is a very good and accurate way to look at it, but it has to be an active surrender. Okay. Yeah, because we know that religion also wants to surrender, but they do it in a passive way. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, you know what? You know what I hear often? They have this problem. They go like, I've surrendered this problem to the Lord. It's like, I just don't want to look at it. I don't want to take any responsibility. I don't want anything to do with it. It must just go away. That's what people do. They go like, well, I've surrendered this problem to the Lord. The angels are standing there going like, someone just dropped off a dustbin <laughs> full of garbage and they want to give it to the Lord. <laughs> what shall we do? He's going like, send it back. <laughs> send it back. Lord, the Lord doesn't want it. Return. <laughs> Return to sender. Return to sender. Okay, so that's really what we I've, I've heard it often. I've put it down at his feet and I've let it go. I'm not picking it up again. Then why are we talking about it right now? Um, it's really it's it's, uh, it's most people's idea of surrender. It's a passive surrendering. But really what we see in the Word is the Lord is going to go like, okay, you brought your problem to me, now we're going to do something about it. I'll tell you what to do, and you go do it. But He also sits down and go like, great opportunity to learn. To learn, to help you repent. To become wise. So He's not wise. going to just solve the problem. No, He's going to now help us repent. Hmm. And what is Repentance come back to Messiah-likeness. So, let's take note. Every possible scenario that one of us as believers bring to the Lord, He's going to put into the category of ah, Messiah-likeness. That's it. So, we bring, Lord, I have this huge issue finance, he goes like, it's not a finance issue for me. It's like, how can I conform your character <laughs> and your person to the person of Messiah? Opportunity. So, so that's, that's truly, he says, I don't... Okay, let's not go into it. I think everybody knows what we're talking about, right? Okay, now, <laughs> let's get to some of the answers. Can you show us firstly the angel... In Revelation. Yeah. Okay, so back to Revelation chapter 22. So all things that He has redeemed will be to conform in the fullness of times to Him. 
all those things on earth and in heaven, in Him. In Him. Okay, other translations, they took out the in Him, because they couldn't understand why it said in Him. So it said to Him, by Him, I don't know, a lot of different, through Him. Okay, so let's pay attention, in Him. Okay. Okay. No, okay, so Revelation chapter 22, let's now read from verse 8. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Okay, let's just stop there because we've read the rest. Okay, so have we had any interpretations regarding this one yet in the past? Okay. So the word angel would have been translated from the idea of spirit or messenger. In this case, best application would be messenger, right? Okay. Does this now mean that he, the angel that showed him these things, is a man? Because some, a lot of people interpret this then. Say, so like, well, maybe it's someone that already died and now he's talking to him. Okay, this gives us a glimpse into the reality of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. All things that are in heaven, all things that are on earth, reconciled, made one in him. Okay. So, what is the kingdom of heaven about? Him. What is all of history and creation about? Him. What is this world about? Him. What are our lives about? Him. It's all about Him. The word is about Him. Because in the end of the day, what is left? They in heaven, you know how interesting it's going to be? There's going to be different sections, blocks, where people stay in their mansions. There's going to be the section where they have all the best um, scientists that lived on earth so that you could have, you, you have a pool of knowledge. Okay, so a, a nuclear physicist would live right next to a marine biologist, imagine what they can get up to, and, um, and then there's going to be the guys that cloned the sheep, <laughs> you know? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And then over there, there's a section where they have all the best car man manufacturers. I mean, you have the guy from back Ferrari. You just want the damn Ferrari. But there's a specific, there's a specific um, uh, a suburb. I'm hoping that my suburb would be close to that one. That's where the Cadbury guy and the Lindt inventor of Lindt chocolates and. Um, pardon? Well, what else are they going to do? They're going to keep busy, right? So, so, oh, the food scientists and all of those guys. I mean, and okay, why, why am I saying this? Okay, 
all things conformed in him. Conformed. Okay. So now that brings me to the reason for so much of our fear, anxiety, and worry is the things that are so important on this earth, our lives. Our lives. So when Jimmy Carter walks past, is anybody going to call him Mr. President? Ronald Reagan. So all things conformed in one, in him. What does conform mean? Man, I was really good at knowing the Bible, so no one's going to take note when I'm there. That was a pun. Okay, so... <laughs> that was a play on words. Okay, so no one's going to take note. So my knowledge that I have, I've dedicated my life to know, knowing and understanding the word is just of no value whatsoever. Nothing. Hmm? It should be. should be of some value you would expect, but if somebody wanted to know anything about the Bible, they're going to go ask him. Yeah. But you know in the words. No, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's going to count. So what causes us fear, anxiety, and uh, worry? Okay. And what's the answer to it? I'm hoping something's opening up. That's what I'm waiting. Mm -hmm. Waiting for you to look at it before we give you the answer. So this is a spirit, what we call angel. And he says, I'm... uh, one of the brethren. I also keep the words of the book. I also keep the words of the book. And I'm one of those that prophesy. What's prophecy? Declaring who God is. <clears throat> and sometimes as ministering spirits, they declare who God is and what God's will is to us. Because they're part of the brethren. So an angel and a believer on earth, they're just part of the same thing, same spirit. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. So when it comes to believers interacting with God on the issues of their lives, and we have to, we have to take our concerns and our needs and our concerns, can't use worry or anxiety, it's the concerns. We take our needs, our concerns, and our supplications to the Lord, right? Okay. So now we're going to look at what is that interaction based on? What's that interaction based on? Because we still need to take it to Him, and yet we know how so many believers pray about stuff, but the anxiety doesn't decrease. The pressure doesn't decrease, the fear doesn't decrease, but we're still praying about our stuff. 
And then we actually see people walking a road with the Lord, but certain things that are in the Word are not being implemented, not being obeyed, and then things get worse for them. It's like they had a little bit of fear, and then they have the next bit of fear, and then they have the next bit of fear. I've seen people that's been serving the Lord spirit-filled for 20 years, and the fear seems to be multiplying. It just changes form every now and then. Mm. Hence, chain WhatsApp, WhatsApp groups. Okay, so it sounds familiar. Why? Why? The question is why? Why? Shouldn't we be, we be fear-free? Do you want to explain some of it to us? Do you want to show them what happens in the book of the flesh? Isaiah 66. The book of the flesh in the Bible? Okay, Isaiah 66. That's why it calls it the book of the flesh. So keep in mind... Someone that's on earth still in a vision is speaking to an angel in heaven. He says, I'm the same as you. I'm of the brethren. Also one of the prophets prophesying, declaring who God is in his will. And he's saying, I also keep the words of this book. Interesting. And then the message is that don't worry about a thing. Because everyone who is unjust will remain unjust. Don't worry about a thing because everyone who is righteous will remain righteous. And everyone who is holy will remain holy. <coughs> Question was, can we lose our salvation? Can we mess up so much that we're less holy than... And can we work harder to become more holy? See. We're looking at works versus rest and repentance. Okay. Show us what the book says. Okay, so let's read. We're going to read the first four verses and then we can unpack it. Is that okay? Hmm. Okay. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. He who kills a bull is as if he slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb, as if he breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering, as if he offers swine's blood. He who burns incense, as if he blesses an idol. Just as they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations, so I will choose their delusions, and bring their fears on them. Because when I spoke, they did not hear, but they did evil before my eyes. Oh, wait, I skipped something. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear, but they did evil before my eyes, and chose that in which I do not delight. Started good. <clears throat> started nice and edifying okay heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool where is the house that you will build me and where is the place of my rest 
Can we go to Hebrews West, please? Can I do the whole rest thing or just uh, the crux? You can do the crux and then you can do the, the context. The okay. So, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. I just want to make sure. We just launched into a teaching on works, rest, anxiety, fear. We don't know if anybody here needs this teaching. Uh, Hanley, uh, is your um, anxiety levels at, at zero yet? Okay, so no anxiety, no fear, no stress. Okay, so you don't need this. Okay, works. Okay, so okay, maintenance. Any anybody else here? That's is everybody on zero. <laughs> okay, so we can teach it. You're on zero, right? You look very relaxed. You're chilled. <laughs> I'm so chilled. <laughs> this this should give you at least give you a compass um, bearing. To keep looking at when because try and look what we've learned is it's useless to try and sort out the the messed up the thoughts mess, and yeah. all the emotions we can't sort it out trying to bring all of that uh, into subjection to the Lord it doesn't work it just doesn't um, and the more we look at self the deeper we get into fear anxiety and stress isn't it. So the more you look at this, that's the thing with darkness. The more you look at it, the more darkness you see. Okay. Okay. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 4. Let's read verse 3 and 4 first. And then 3 and 4 and 5. And then we'll add context. Okay. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Okay. So now, if you, when you say give context, you mean can I read yeah, everything? Yeah, do what you want to do. Okay. So... <clears throat> I feel like I should read from Hebrews chapter 1 That's but I can't what I was that. a little bit afraid of <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I just knew we were going to go there <laughs> So close, I shouldn't have said anything Okay So I'm not going to do that But please So Hebrews chapter 1, 2 And the beginning of chapter 3 Is all about one man. Okay. So we're coming from one man, especially here at the beginning of chapter 3. And then now from there, let's read from verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. And then we're going to read the rest. And then the whole of chapter 4. Okay. <laughs> Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, 
they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Messiah if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Uh, Aniska, you have your King James Bible still. Can you read... Um, Verse 8, please. <laughs> she knows. <coughs> Chapter 4, verse 8. For if Jesus has given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? Can we just quickly, why in the old translation do they exchange the names? Because they have the same name. This is just a side note. We're adding to the name thing, which means that the original translation of Joshua and Yahushua is the same translation. That's why they can use both. It means that they had the same name. So Joshua that led the Israelites into the promised land, his name was Yahushua. That's why in this translation... They are interchanging them. So there are some other translations that is also using the name of the Lord rather than Joshua. But the reason they can do that must be because the original translation was the same. Okay, so what are we looking at? Let's quickly connect this. Go back to Isaiah 66. Okay, back to Isaiah 66. <coughs> so we know that the main uh, scripture that we always look at for the concept of enter into rest 
And entering into rest is uh, the foundational building block on which the Lord started building the ministry in Eden on the Bay. Tell you why. We had a lot of uh, building blocks, a lot of keys. When um, the, the men that I was praying with said I should find the man of peace here uh, in the area and then the Lord will start to establish his work, they laid their hands on me and released me uh, uh, as apostle over this area before anything here was started because they said the teaching, the revelation on entering into his rest, none of them had ever heard or noticed. And they said that on that building block, that is why the Lord would establish me as apostle here because that has to be restored to his people. Now, it's such a huge scripture that it says that uh, Joshua didn't lead the Israelites into rest. It says, now there still remains a rest for God's people to enter in. So, 2,000 years, globally, no one... Well, it was longer than that if you no one, when Joshua led them into the promised land. But now, after yeah. this, the Messiah came, that is our rest, all the promises fulfilled, all the prophecies fulfilled we still don't have a movement across the world where believers are led into the rest of the Lord. As a matter of fact, the opposite has been happening. No matter what the denomination, even if they have hyper-grace, they're still going to add works to it. So this is letting us know that what God was doing with the Israelites, He still intends to do with His uh, new, what we call New Covenant Body, Church. Okay, and what is that? Lead us into His rest. Now the Promised land for them represented that fulfillment of promises. So um, we will still look. There's not enough time today. We considered it. Look, we will still look at the promise uh, to Abraham, the Abrahamic promise. Now, so the promised land, as long as they kept the laws that should lead them to faith, should have kept them in a an absolute state of rest and victory. Although there would be wars they would learn obedience, come to fullness, and even the wars would end. There would be no famine. There would be a relationship with God. Everything should function perfectly. That was his first picture on earth of rest. So there we see, right there in Hebrews, combined with Isaiah 66, a very simple key to why People cannot overcome fear, anxiety, and worry. Liani, heart, how many chambers? Okay, all the same size. How does it work? <laughs> Are you serious? Serious. <laughs> okay, so the left side of the heart pumps the blood to the body after receiving it from the lungs. Um, so first your left atrium and then your left ventricle and then after the body has used what it had to use it comes back to the right side of the heart to the right atrium and the right ventricle bumping through the lungs and then it kind of flows but all the different um, chambers of the heart have different obviously different functions because some receive and some give but like the left side of the heart is a very much stronger muscle because it has to pump against a much stronger resistance. 
So the right shoulder has to bump through the lungs, obviously is not as muscular as the left eye. Okay, okay so very simple <laughs> thing. Okay, so A, I don't know which side it goes in. One side. <laughs> anyway, somehow the whole thing goes like, like a, what happens if you cut, what happens if you have the whole, all the blood is circulating through the body, the body, the body, the body, and then that which is coming through the lungs from the outside is cut off. What will happen? You will bleed. Pardon? You will bleed when you You will start to stress. <laughs> Then you will experience some fear. <laughs> yes, now there will definitely be anxiety, fear, stress, and then death. <laughs> but you get very interesting heart conditions that is very unphysiological, but that's fine. <laughs> but no air? No air, no. Anxiety, right? So there is coming from the outside. From another, okay. So, my point is, okay, so. It says, they've gone astray in their hearts. So the Israelites are representing God's salvation picture. God's plan sets aside people for himself, his people. He gives them all the information that they need to know him. Plus, a physical representation in the cloud that his God is with them, then when they build the temple, his glory comes down in the temple, he's with them. Okay. So everything. We have a middle redemption picture of the garden. Now let's go to the grace sequence. Everybody, if you can have a look at the grace sequence. Okay. So grace represented, we've done this over and over, represented by a wall, a protecting wall, a wall that continues so that the seed can continue, so wall protecting. Originally it would have been a circle of tents. That's grace. That's the picture of grace in the Hebraic language. The first picture of it we see in God's creation is the garden. He, makes it, he plants a garden, puts Adam and Eve in a stress-free environment. Okay. <clears throat> They don't have to look for food. There's no sickness. There's no death. Nothing to fear. No wages of sin yet. No separation from God. Perfect relationship with God. Perfect relationship with each other. Okay. No stress factors at all. But, they activate their own will. So, they do something out of their own will. And this causes them to be aware of good and evil, understand good and evil. Okay, stress factor. Now they're put outside of the garden, where God is no longer providing, no longer in constant relationship with them, although He does speak to them. Um, and obviously after such an incident, uh, where Eve brought the fruit to Adam, their perfect relationship would take strain for the next 300 years. It took them a while, most likely to sort it out. Um, but he didn't divorce her, I don't know why. Well, there was no other woman, so there was no option. But anyway, so 
She got him kicked out of the garden. So their relationships are under strain. Everything is under strain. Even the creation is now resisting them. Okay, so picture of grace in between somewhere now things go wrong, outside of grace. Next picture of grace we see is the actual, actual salvation plan. So this sequence of events is a picture of man trying, to, uh, God bringing man back to a state of perfection. Now, what does it say about the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of heaven? Will there be any tears there? No. What does it say? What problems are named that we have to deal with? So the healing of the nations and living water and you name it, everything perfect again. Okay, so God, there's going to be judgment. He provides the ark as a picture of salvation um, and so they're inside the ark. Still not stress-free because they have a lot of animals inside and um, the poor kids are there with their in-laws. So not stress-free. Okay, we see that it's not an ideal situation because um, Noah is constantly sending out birds to look for a way out. Okay. Please, can we get out? Yeah. Like, pigeon, go find me some land. I want to get out of here. My wife is upset again because she wants to eat the sheep and I'm going like, God, you're not allowed to. Anyway, so... so Another, there's grace because they're included and uh, God says to them, come into the ark. So there's a rest, some restoration of um, relationship with God. There's provision, there's protection, but it's still not perfect. Then Adam, uh, Abraham. Okay, so Abraham. just, he drew him with a cape and then I said, oh, he's a superior. And then he drew an S and so we called him Seed Man. <laughs> so this is Seed Man, Abraham. So now... He puts the seed that is going to become the Messiah inside of Abraham, and this is, becomes the vessel of faith. Okay, then that promise to Abraham that I will make you a great nation, uh, there's a fulfillment of that in the Israelites coming out of bondage uh, under the cloud. Again, provision, quails, um, manna, water from the rock. Protection from their enemies. So this is uh, a progression. <coughs> now, all of that, in its imperfect state, this is leading to the promised land. They go through the Jordan. This is the Jordan. That's the promised land. They cross through the Jordan into the promised land. Now, we, now in the promised land, as, as long as they kept God's law, they remained faithful and did not turned to idols, they were blessed, covenant, gave them provision, blessing, protection, you name it. Um, they're not stressing if they should go to war because they're gonna, the Lord's going to go before them. Okay. Then we have the cross. This is the place where we all die with Messiah in Messiah, all that ever lived. Um, end of all stress, anxiety and fear, just, just end it. Um, in eternity. He took all of that on himself. So this is again the same picture of that so that the seed can continue the cross. So the man on the cross being the focus. Then the body, the body of Messiah. And the body of Messiah was supposed to be how many steps 
down the line of restoration, the body of the church of Messiah today, baptized with the Holy Spirit, covered by the covenant, came into the promises that's coming into the rest. This body, the side of the cross, supposed to be just one step away from full restoration in grace. So why isn't it looking like it? Why not looking like it? Because in Isaiah 66, the Lord says, Where is the place of my rest? See, He said His plan, His purpose was to lead the Israelites into rest, into His rest. That they represented the body. Then it says in Hebrews, there is still a rest for God's people to enter into. Because the Messiah didn't lead the Israelites into the rest, but he's still trying to lead us into the rest. Okay, we'll start to bring it all together now. Okay, so let's go to Isaiah 66. So note that it is 66, that's why I call it the book of the flesh. Right at the end. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. It says in Ephesians that in the um, dispensation of the fullness of time, all things on earth and in heaven will be reconciled, redeemed into one, into Messiah. Okay. So the heaven, Liram, from where we know now we're sitting, is giving to us somehow over the divide that of which belongs to him, so that we can trade with it and multiply it, and then we can deposit it back as treasure. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Do you want to tell them why it calls the earth footstool? Okay, so this comes from a Hebrew concept where, okay, so we know that the Bible says that uh, all those enemies will be, well, how does it say it? You are in Hebrew. No, you're not in Hebrews. Uh, yeah. Just want to read so we know. Oh, okay. Sit in my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Okay. So the idea of the footstool comes from judgment, where the judge would sit at an elevated height, and the person getting judged would be at the footstool. So judgment was passed from on high to down below. Same as we see later on in the kingdoms of the world, they would adopt this Hebraic um, They would adopt culture. the same thing. So the judge would be elevated and then judgment would be passed to down below. So wherever you read footstool, it is a prophetic symbol of judgment. So the earth... So he says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. <coughs> so we know that he is seated in heavenly places, but the earth, we know, is the place of judgment. So judgment will be passed from the kingdom of heaven to 
all of the earth, not just parts of the earth or just certain people, the entire earth, all of it, will be judged. So earth is the place of judgment. All that has to do with earth, all aspects of this creation, all and every single thing that is here is currently in the prolonged situation of being judged. So, that is why in the salvation plan, for us not to be judged, we have to be repositioned from being part of earth's judgment to part of Him in the kingdom. That is what baptism does. The law was part of the judgment process here, because without law there is no sin. So law was given as part of a judgment that starts the moment that God says, do not eat from that tree. That's when judgment started. Not when they did it, from before. So earth, from creation, is always the place of judgment. Now after the fall, it becomes, it becomes the purpose of earth. Judgment, separation. When we are separated, we are translated. We are translated into... Heavenly places, Ephesians, please. Seated. Oh, oh, that one, okay. So just, just keep up. We're tracking something through the Bible. That's the answer to this okay. victory that we need. It says, uh, I'm just going to read from verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Messiah, by grace you have been saved and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Messiah Yahushua. Okay, so that's our repositioning. So for him, in our salvation, the completion of his salvation act towards the seed, the completion of his, he actually repositions you, takes you out of the place of judgment into the heavenly eternal place, your body stays here, but it says we are in the world, but not of this world. Okay. Now, what does this have to do with our process of overcoming fear and unbelief? Because it has to do with the works and the rest mm. thing. Now, heaven is my, my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? Okay. And here lies one of the keys to overcoming fear, anxiety, and worry. Because to the extent I believe that every believer becomes involved in building the house on the, of the Lord, and that is the body, this cloud of witnesses, some of which are still residing on earth, some of them not yet saved, but elected and predestined for salvation, to that extent that we are involved actively, in the building of the house of the Lord that will become his resting place will we enter into his rest. Back to works and rest. So there are certain works that are works of rest. Certain works that are part of entering into his rest. We know that we are given from what belongs to him on this side, we trade, and uh, there will be treasure accumulated that can be reinvested in the kingdom of heaven. We said 
It has everything to do with the body, everything to do with our brethren. To the extent that we want to overcome fear, anxiety, and worry, to that extent, the work has to lead us to an involvement in building his house, because that's the place of his rest. Mm. To the extent that we are investing so much time in other things that we are not, don't, we don't have enough to invest in the body, to that extent, I believe, no matter what we try and how we try and, in, and implement the word, we will short, fall short of his ways. They have not known my ways. They go astray in their hearts. Where's the problem? With fear, doubt, and anxiety. The heart. They've gone astray. Where do we go astray? Not our minds. One would think we go astray in our minds. The mind can be renewed, but where your treasure is, there your heart will be. But, if there's no treasure there, the only way to accumulate treasure there, there is to the extent in which a, an individual believer is involved in building the house of the Lord, because it's the place of his rest. Now, if the heart is here, look, let's be honest. All believers want their, to convince themselves their hearts are in the kingdom of heaven. Concerned that. But on a daily basis, you'll find out very quickly where your heart is. It's true. Um, our hearts are busy with our garden, our geezer. You had to start with garden. <laughs> Do you see? Okay, so we can, get, we can get involved with our family that's busy going astray or are still in... Why would the Israelite worry about someone that stayed behind in Egypt? You know what happened to Lot's wife? She had kids that stayed behind in Sodom. Do you know that? Married kids. She had married kids. Possibly grandkids. So we're thinking, how the heck could she turn around and look back? She had kids that was left behind in the city that wasn't righteous, that didn't want to come. And she turned around to look at them and turned into what? Salt. We, just, yeah. just back to what you said with the whole let's be honest thing. Because like he said, we all want our hearts to be in the kingdom and then in, a daily, in our daily lives, very quickly we find out maybe it's not to the extent that we hoped for. Um, this would be one of those cases in our faith walks, where we really want to be very honest about the state of our heart. Because if we try and cover up any part of thinking, you know, okay, so I know my heart's not completely in heaven, but at least, you know, maybe there's a little bit. This is where we want to be excruciatingly honest with ourselves and with the state of our heart, because only if we're really honest about how we are positioned, can the Lord truly help us to change that. But if we to any extent, keep insisting that maybe it's not as bad as we think, it's going to take longer. Just putting it out there, <laughs> I just feel it's important. Okay. See, now we can get to the really nitty-gritty bits. So we know that he says, where's the house that you will build me? 
and where's the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord, but on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. See, that kind of person that doesn't go astray in the heart, but seeks for the ways of God. Okay, but now listen, and this is actually one of those big keys to understand why we struggle with overcoming anxiety. He's going to go carry on. He who kills a bull and so forth. You can go read it again. I'm not, I don't want to go through it. It says, it speaks here about the works of religion. These are all the things the, the Israelites were supposed to do. They're supposed to do this. Kill a bull, sacrifice lamb, grain offerings, burn incense. So they were busy with all the right stuff. And yet he says, just as they have chosen their own ways. That's an important key. See, I, I observe very often that people will think they're taking their stuff to the Lord, but they're taking their stuff to the Lord. Mm. They've chosen to observe their own ways. And, we, and people think they're praying. A lot of believers think they're busy with the Lord, but they're busy with their stuff. Their stuff. And they go like, why, am I, why, why isn't things getting better? So we're taking our fears and we want to talk to him about our fears, not about his ways. We want to talk to him about our anxieties. You see why it's important that we say this? Because we think our stuff is so important. One of the main reasons we have anxiety is because we think we're busy with such important things. Isn't it? Well, what if you're King David? He was called to be King David. Does he have any more right to complain to God about all the stress he's handling? He does talk about it when they want to kill him when he's surrounded, but he's never bringing the administration stuff of the kingdom to the Lord. He could have reason. Okay, so what do you think? Um, eh, anybody have their car service lately? Next time, take it. Maybe just take a moment and ask the mechanic if he feels he's been called by God specifically to be a mechanic. I don't know. What's the chances? Hmm? It could be. As Christians, we're always going, what has God called me for? What has God called me to? What has God called me to build a house? That's what he called us to. Okay, so this is the point I want to make. A lot of the reasons for stress, anxiety, and fear that we face in life is because somehow we get working as unto the Lord for provision confused with the calling of God and the eternal purposes of God. We confuse them. Mm. 
hardly you were praying for a job lately and God specifically opened doors and made a way. Does that mean that God assigned you to that job and that it's the purpose of your life? No. He provided for you. You get that. If you started thinking, now that's your big calling and God's purpose for your life, would that cause you stress eventually? It could. See, now, we want to be very careful with that. Even in my position, where I've been specifically called, and her position, where she's been specifically called, we still have to understand that my calling to restore truth to the church, that's not my calling. It's not the big purpose for me being alive. Mm. I'm just building, hoping to build the house. That making sense? Now, we don't want to minimize the importance of working. Okay, now, some people don't necessarily attach that to their work, but they'll attach it to other things. Okay, now, I don't think, specifically, that all the people that think it's their highest calling to get their grandmother saved, I don't think they've got it right. It might happen in one or two circumstances. Okay, but did God now save us and assign us to get all our family members saved? No. Not a kind of message that's going to come across for most people as popular, but the, we're talking about what keeps us in bondage to stress, anxiety, and worry. When we're seeking God's ways, but we get confused and we end up seeking our ways. So we want to be free from stress, anxiety, and worry. We just want God to do it in a way that suits us. We want God to do it in a way that agrees with my preferences and my way of thinking, not necessarily with His Word. That make sense? Enter into His rest. Can you read what it says about entering into His rest? That they've actually seized of what? Hebrews, if you don't know where it is. Yeah, I read the whole thing. <laughs> when you said, please enter the rest, I was like, did you miss when I read two <laughs> chapters? Okay. Is this picture making sense? Is it st- uh, Jason, is it coming together? Okay, is it? Okay, so it's coming together. This is actually such a such an accurate discerner. It is actually quite easy. The moment it's about you, your life, what you feel you should be doing. To the slightest degree. Then to the you slightest can, degree. You can you can immediately stop and go. What's not happening when, in my Not heart? the moment when you find, oh, I'm so fully in the flesh, I don't know where it's up or down. It's the smallest, the smallest little motivation or thought. That's where we should. Okay, what part specifically? That they cease from all their work. Oh, they go. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, Our own, any of our own plans or our own 
making other decisions or all the other. Not, I don't mean just particularly consulting him, but making plan, okay, I will do this, and then I will do that in this area and in that area of my life, when that actually doesn't matter if it's not connected to the body, which he is building. So whatever is not connected to that is actually just... God is going to interact with us according to his specific will. He will interact through his spirit to us when we're busy with his word. He will interact with us. He will. Then, there will be times when he's just lovingly in relationship blessing, blessing us. Okay, but we, we make that the big, big portion of it, the small portion of it. Um, so I'm not saying we shouldn't be praying for our loved one. But if he's not responding, then like, it's probably not part of today. It's not on today's agenda. But we want to change the agenda to suit what we want to do and talk about. Mm-hmm. And that's how you know when you start getting very busy with your own stuff. We know. Because we start going like in circles. You know when it's God, you kind of say, Where, what's the next step? And he gives you the next step. Or he will start speaking to you through the word because there will be repentance and correction on your side that's needed. That's what he will do. Okay, yes. So what happens with entering into rest? For he who has entered his rest, God's rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Okay, so it says that the rest that God provided for us is that God finished all his work and sat down on the seventh day. Then, for us to enter into His rest, is we enter into His finished work. It means I'm not going to affect anything new on earth, no matter how hard I pray. Nothing I do is going to change the outcome. That makes sense? So I have to find out what has been done, finished, completed, and learn to live according to it, and it should be stress-free and without fear. Now listen to this, though. So the Isaiah uh, uh, 66, the first two full verses, that was the rest part of the scripture. Now we're going to works. And that's all the stuff where they kill a bull, do this, and uh, just as they have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. He's talking about the works of religion, all the stuff that God told them to do, that they're doing it from a different heart, different attitude. That's the works part. So if we want to understand what is works, what is rest, we want to start doing godly things to add to our righteousness or our right standing with God or to fix things. Okay. If we find out what His will and His purpose and His plan is for me today and at this moment and for this year, then we can walk that out. That's resting. Resting from our works, entering into His works. Okay, now, He says about these people that go into works. Now, works would be in our time when we start looking for things to repent because we feel things aren't what they're supposed to be in our lives. So we start looking for things to repent. I've had people say to me they didn't sleep because they've been repenting all night. I was like, why don't you just get saved? Um, because how do you repent all night? 
Repenting is when you stop doing what you're doing, so you just stop sleeping. Anyway, so, and I'm not saying don't repent, but that kind of mindset is workspace. So they're starting to go through a list of that they got from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and now they're trying to get right with God through, I don't know what they're going to do. They just say sorry and like for everything. It's a good plan, just doesn't work. What it will get you, these works attitudes, works heart, works actions, this is what it will get you. So I will choose their delusions and bring their fears on them, because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear, but they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. So this is the big danger for believers, biggest danger, and I think one of the biggest causes for our continuous troubles. So I feel a little anxious because I have, um, I, f I can feel my tooth. I had sinus when I came back from Uganda, and then it affected my tooth, so I could have run to the, to the dentist. Okay, I said to the Lord, Lord, wisdom, should I go to the dentist? He said, duh, you've got sinus. Then just chill. Okay? So, what I'm trying to say is, we should be cautious as believers when it comes to this specific warning. He starts off well, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Now, we ended within a few breaths, ended at a place where he says, God says, I will choose their delusions. So we come up with a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of fear, a little bit of rejection, a little bit of offense, a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of envy, a little bit of self-importance, a little bit of pride. Entitlement. Entitlement. Biggie. Entitlement. What's the other ones? There's Presumption. The three sisters. Presumption. And assumption. assumption. Presumption, assumption, entitlement. So we come up with a little smidget of it. And now uh, we want to interact with God and His Word regarding our little thing. And I've seen this. It doesn't happen overnight. People continue in their ways. This is what happens. And I'm talking about believers. He says, I will choose their delusions. He's not going to come up with a new way to teach us or to lead us to repentance. Everybody listening. He's not going to come out randomly choose a subject to lead us to repentance. He'll take your delusions, the thing that's already brewing in you, developing in you, the thing you've been nurturing. And what's he going to do? It's going to get worse and worse. And the more we bring it to him and pray unscriptural prayers outside of his ways and his finished work, the more we take our stuff not connected with his finished work to him, the more he's going to make those very fears become our reality. Why is he doing it? Not because he's punishing us. It's the discipline of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's his goodness. He'll call us to his word. How many people I know that keep praying, they tell me, but I've been praying and fasting. I say, have you, what have you 
been doing in the Word? Have you been spending time in the Word? No, I'm busy praying and fasting. I'm like, it's going to be, you're going to suffer for two years. I've seen people suffer for five, six, seven years because of this dynamic. And things get worse and worse and worse. He says, uh, but they did, not, they did evil before my eyes and choose that in which I do not delight. When I spoke, they did not hear. Okay, does that make this an accessible key when it comes to any pressure points, any discomfort in our lives? So now I'll just go have a look at the separation teaching again. It will make a lot, it will connect very nicely with this teaching. Now we want to go to, do we want to do the psalm? We can do the psalm. Can I say something about repentance? Yes. <clears throat> so, repentance. I'm doing this because it bothers me. <laughs> um, by observation, you used this earlier, I've observed in the past, and in the, I've observed, that the, the word repentance awakens a negative response most of the time with believers. We hear repentance and we think scolding or, oh, I'm doing something wrong, I've been caught out, now I have to fix it. There's, for, for some reason, there's a negative connotation to the word repent. And that bothers me a lot. Because the word says that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Not the severity of God, not the discipline of God, the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So, I've often observed that if we are here, and I'm just going to put here truth, we tend to think of repentance as moving away from sin towards truth. Which isn't all wrong, because we do want to stop with what we were busy with and get back into line with truth. But if we keep thinking or, or uh, perceiving repentance as being a moving away from the wrong things, so that I can be conformed to his image, then we're never going to get there. Because we're going to be busy with the wrong things. So, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Now... I'm going to make a statement. To the extent that we have that we have and grow in revelation of the finished work, to that extent we will be able to repent. So the smaller the revelation that we have of the finished work, the less we will be able to repent. Because repentance isn't stopping doing the wrong things and moving away from doing the wrong things, it's coming in line with the truth. It's coming in line with this finished work. It's coming in line with this side of the divide. So the greater our revelation of his finished work, the more we will be able to move into it. If, our, if the revelation isn't there, then what are we going to repent into? You're just going to be moving away from doing the wrong things, but there's nowhere to go. So repentance for me, if I think repent I just want to encourage believers 
to see it as a gift. Being able to repent is a gift, it's not a punishment. Think about it, if we have those separation cards, there is no logical reason why if I find myself in the flesh, there's no logical reason or way for me to make my way back into the Spirit. If I've been baptized and I'm in the Spirit and I fall back into the flesh, there's no logical reason why I should be able to make it back into the Spirit. It's just the goodness of God. Only the goodness of God that's going to make the way for me to move at all back into the Spirit. Because there's no way I can repent or get out of the flesh back into the Spirit. It's just the goodness of God. And so to the extent that our revelation, that we grow in revelation of what he has done, of what he has finished, and that is just, it comes down to one man. To the extent that I give myself to that, to that extent I will be able to repent. So repentance and being conformed to his image, and even we spoke this morning, maybe another way, not the only way, but another way to start viewing repentance <coughs> is via grace. So we had the little picture where here is the finished work, New Jerusalem. Here's my faith walk. I'm over here and grace is bringing the finished work towards me where I am. So if repentance is coming in line with the truth of who he is, then, and grace is bringing the finished work towards me, and repentance is me coming there. Because remember, we don't repent of little actions. We walk out the road of repentance until we get to perfection. So it's not me just quitting all the bad habits and stopping. So just because I'm stopping all the bad habits doesn't mean I'm being conformed to his image. The more I'm conformed to his image, the less the bad things will become. But just me stopping or trying not to do them is not going to automatically conform me to his image. So we can, I would rather encourage that we start viewing repentance in terms of our response to grace. Because grace is bringing the finished work towards me anyway. If I'm in him and I'm here, then the truth of this is going to be flung at me every second of the day. A better way to view repentance would rather be our response and our surrender and our openness to receive grace. Instead of me trying to make myself better, just go, Lord, what are you bringing my way today so that I can be conformed to your image according to your finished work, according to the grace that you are bringing into my life. If I just give myself to that and respond to that, then there's much less focus on what am I still doing wrong or what isn't fixed yet, and much more of a focus just on his finished work and how I can move closer, nearer, deeper into that. So just a note on that. Just please, because repentance, like I said, it's, the, it's a gift. It's not a punishment. It's not a chastening. It's, it's, it's a miracle that anyone is able to repent. But doesn't it say in the word that it's the Lord who grants repentance? Exactly. It's not which is why, which means it's a gift. So if there's opportunity to repent, we shouldn't view it as, oh man, now, you know, this is embarrassing because if I have to repent, it means I've been doing something wrong and, you know, everyone's going to know and I have to fix this thing because I'm going to stop doing it so everyone's going to know that it was the wrong thing that I did before. We shouldn't view it in that way because, like you're saying, it's God that grants repentance. It's a gift. 
it's a gift. And I think if we start responding in a more positive attitude as well, I think the fruit and the effect of it would... Mm. Very much so. So the finished work, repentance scenario is so simple. Okay, so when I, because of something, I did a mistake or intentionally, I think that I've now been moved across the aisle into that group. It's like, yeah, they're trying to sort out two groups in heaven for judgment, and it's like, now you're there, and they go like, man, you did it again. Get over there in that group, and you go like, but I'm sorry. Okay, then get back over into that group. It's like, that's why it's taking so long. That's why it's not coming back, because they just can't sort out who's in what group. Okay? Is that any logical way to think about how the two groups are actually end up in two groups. Because he says, the unjust and the filthy, let them be unjust and filthy still. Okay, because he wrote our names in the book of life. From the foundations of the earth. And he chose us in him from before the foundations of the earth. And so, let those who are righteous and holy be holy and righteous still. That's His work with us. So if you read discipline, repentance, that's what He's busy accomplishing. Because we must be righteous. If we are righteous in Him from the foundation, then we must be righteous till at the end. And so repentance is according to this. Ah, oh, man, I made a mistake. I'm going to immediately return all my thinking and my emotions to the reality. And that I'm righteous and holy in Him because of what He did. It means that I let go of my ways. <coughs> I seek to understand and embrace His ways. And I enter into His finished work. I then adjust all aspects of my life to His finished work. So my dad, for instance, has not repented. He's now in his 70s. Should I be praying for his repentance? No. If he's going to repent, he's going to repent. I did lift him up once or twice. Did my bit. Now I'm going to get on with some more important stuff. There's a body that is saved that should be invested in. That makes sense. If the door opens and I can share some of my faith or my testimony with him, carefully I'll do so. Does that make sense? That goes for everything in, in our lives, all aspects of our lives. You know, when something in our lives starts really straining, not working out anymore, it's probably because it's no longer part of the plan and we start seeking for his finished work. Because our lives are just part of the bigger plan. It's not, we don't pray about our lives for our lives' sake. I pray about, I seek for my life so that it can be part of the bigger plan. Now, <clears throat> just in closing. Just in closing. One of the things I think when it comes to believers that know the truth about the finished work. Know the things is that we can still get confused when it comes to our lives on this side and the finished work there. We can get confused and put overemphasis on the importance of what we're doing right now. 
that make sense? I'm not saying don't be dedicated. I don't say don't be diligent. Don't be disciplined. I'm not saying that at all. If that's what God has given a person to do from 8 to whatever time you stop work, then work as unto the Lord, and it will be blessed. But don't make that the purpose for the kingdom of God existing. If I'm going to, if I feel the Lord has laid it on my heart to pray for some lost person, or I'm praying about my family and my friends, that's good, be diligent, do it as unto the Lord in faith, because what is not done in faith is sin, sin and what is done in faith is not. We do it, but we're not going to now change the fact that the kingdom of heaven exists because of my neighbor not being saved. Do you see what I'm saying? A lot of the anxiety and fear that we will experience is because we nurtured a little bit of it in our hearts. Because we thought we had the right to it. We had the right to question God. Some of, many, many, in many cases, I've been going in my head through years of case study after case study. And a lot of times when people cannot overcome fear, anxiety and um, worry, it's because of rebellion in the heart. And it says that God will actually start to hand them over into those fears and anxieties. You actually see these things grow and become real. People were scared of something that wasn't even real, and they continue rebelling against God, and you know them long enough. I've, I've seen people scared of losing their jobs when there's no reason to, do, to be so, just because the boss gave them a, a look. And three years later, they lose their jobs because they started acting in a way that was in line with their fears and not in line with faithfulness and faith and trust and hopefulness and those kind of things. Does that make sense? I've seen people mess up friendships because they were scared their friend didn't want to be their friend. So it happened. No reason for it. So, what, let's watch the stuff we nurture in our hearts, because it might just become our reality. I'm not talking about this thing, there's, there's a video, a book, I think, The Secret. It says, don't think negative, you'll attract it. They got it from the Bible. It's just witchcraft on their side, but it's biblical principles they're using. Okay, so that's is that more or less what we wanted to say. Would it be worth looking at the psalm at all? Yeah, it's I think it's cool. Long, yeah. It fitted in very well. Okay. <coughs> Let's go to Psalm 116. Just to make sure everybody understands. The finished work rest is what we saw with that angel. It's just part of the same glory cloud. All things on earth, all things in heaven will be reconciled into one, into Messiah. That's the end of the story. So we don't have to actually, I don't have to understand how all the different cells in my body are individual living cells and they all live together in my body. Yeah? Not going to change my life experience at all. Okay. I'm going to do you want me to read all of it or just 
Okay, let's read okay. from the beginning. We'll read the whole song. It's not that long. But, but the emphasis here. And here. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O oh my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. So we point it out now. Mm. So just this verse, we see that King David does this often throughout the Psalms <coughs> as a way of, in prayer, addressing himself, his own soul, in coming in line with the truth. So in this case, return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. So we see that it's this same kind of attitude. I know who the Lord called me to be. I know who I am in Him. I know who He is. So return to your rest, O my soul. There's no reason for fear or worry. Okay. So we can learn this kind of principle. Okay, let's continue. Verse 8. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. And now here's where we want to focus. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord, now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Okay. Do you want to... So at the end of this... So firstly, he speaks to his soul and says, um, Return to your rest, O my soul. So he starts by saying, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Don't get confused. He's not saying, well, I pray and the Lord hears me, so that's why I love him. No, there was a, a moment when he came to bring food for his brothers and... Um, he saw there was one taunting God's people, and he said, no way. And he steps, steps onto the battlefield, but simply because this Philistine was um, profaning um, his God's name. So God shows him, you walk in my ways, you love me first, I'm going to back you up. Gives him victory. The principle. That's where he starts. He's, he's actually reminding himself in times of trouble. He keeps doing this. Reminds himself of the way he knows God, who God really is. His circumstances might look in one thing, 
And um, he continues, he says, um, Therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. Then he goes, the pains of death surrounded me. It sounds serious. Don't think he had a down day. He didn't have an off day. It was, uh, it was serious, pains of death. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. See, so he's not saying that he was in the absence of stress and anxiety. He knew how to walk through it. He knew how to do it. And he speaks, he speaks to his own soul. He tells his soul, you will return to your rest. What's the rest? He knows the house of the Lord. He knows the covenant. He knows the plan. He knows the finished work of God. He makes it very clear. Because he says, right next thing he says, for you have delivered my soul from death. Is he talking about the dangers he was in? Or ultimately, the finished plan, the finished work of God. So that's what he's talking about. <coughs> um, then he's going... What shall I render to the Lord? This, I, I want to encourage everyone to work this into your daily thinking. <coughs> work, this, work this into every prayer under pressure. What shall I render to the Lord? That's, what shall I bring? Shall I render accusations to the Lord? Shall I render questioning to the Lord? Shall I render doubt to the Lord? Shall I render reviling? Shall I come and question him why he didn't do things the way that I thought he should? He says, uh, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? So, yes, hard times, they want to kill me. There's benefits towards me. My soul is saved forever. He has forgiven my sins. I have eternal life. And he has given me destiny to walk out. And then he says, the way that I will respond to the Lord... So I will take up the cup of salvation. So that is what we want to encourage everyone when there's seeming reason for anxiety or fear or stress or pressure or doubt or unbelief. Take up the cup of salvation. Drink that which he provided for us at this Last Supper. He drank the cup of suffering so that we can drink the cup of salvation. It's a choice. This Drinking this cup in the presence of the Lord will bring swift response from God. And call upon the name of the Lord. Drink the cup of salvation and call upon His name. We have His true name. I will pay my vows to the Lord. What was my vows? Lord, I've given you my life. I will trust you because of the resurrection that you gave me in baptism. I believe that you have forgiven all my sins and that you have put my, uh, my flesh, my fleshly mind and heart in the grave with, together with you as I was crucified with you. It's no longer I who live, but the Lord who lives in me. So I will keep my vows to the Lord. What's my vows to the Lord? Simple. Do we have vows to the Lord? Yes. We have. It's the only vow we can make. To live for Him. To live according to His salvation. 
to live according to the forgiveness of sins. That's where we want to end. Amen, everybody.